0: Good evening, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly do this and you will live but he desiring to justify himself said to jesus and who is my neighbor jesus answered a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead now by chance a priest was going down the road the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Charlene. To kick off our mission month this
1: year, we are very happy to have with us this afternoon, Reverend David Teo, to come and share God's words with us i'm sure pastor david is not a stranger to many of us while chatting with him earlier understand that he was here in all saints from 1998 to 2004 so about six good years with us as a church worker and now he is he is now in this very special church called chapel of christ our hope and his chaplaincy over the saint andrew's autism center Uh, So I'm sure you know him enough. So without further ado, let's welcome Pastor David. Um, Testing, yeah. Just to mention, I just recovered from COVID, so if my throat is dry and I need to cough, I'm, I'm ready for a, a, a drink. So, but thank you very much for the introduction, and I want to really thank Pastor Darren for inviting me here to be with you. It's really good to be back here, see old friends and, and new ones too, uh, Glad to see how God is moving in the midst of you. So again, um, I'm here to share about the ministry to special needs, Uh, in particular, of course, I'm advocating today uh, on persons with autism because I've been working with them for the last 12 years and and learn a lot um, on autism and their families. And so I'll bring you, uh, I'll be sharing from that angle of autism, but they're all, but special needs is a bigger umbrella. And my my wife is here as well in the middle here, Betty, so um, thank you for having us. <laughs> and so I bring you greetings from St. Andrew's Autism Center, um, uh, who is, that is located at Elliott Road, Siglap area, not very far from here. Uh, there is a school for children, for students. There is also a DAC, a day activity centers for adults. Um, and also we have a residential home in Sengkang for adults. Um, and affiliated to us also, we have a school for those with mild autism who can take the national curriculum exams uh, at the moment at Bukit Batok, and soon they will move to Clementi. So this is the range of work that the diocese is doing now uh, with regards to persons with autism. Well, I also uh, bring you greetings from Chapel of Christ, our hope, the church that I've been involved with for uh, the last number of years uh, it is a church plan uh, from Marine Parade Christian Center. Um, so, the Lord has been bringing different groups uh, from different churches to come and observe how we relate to those with autism and how, to t- how we teach them about God and how we integrate them into the main service. And so, we welcome any one of you who would, come, who would like to come and observe or even to volunteer. Uh, for a period of time so that you may get some idea of how you can accommodate those with autism in your small groups, perhaps, or in your main service. But please speak with your pastor first before you come, yeah. And since we are in the Eastern Cluster, we will also get to know each other a little bit better uh, as we go along. Uh, I'm sure there are many strengths in different churches that will come uh, to bear for all of us. And so shall we pray together? Lord, we thank you that you are a compassionate and gracious God. You save us from the pit and you made us whole. You have also given us a future and a hope. And so come and speak to us today as your Holy Spirit unfolds your word to us so that we may become spiritually richer because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen is it better for me to use the other mic or i can carry on okay thanks rejection we all have experienced some form of rejection in one way or another for some of us it may be in the family and so your grandparents perhaps wanted to have a a, a boy but you turn out to be a girl and your parents had to bear the brunt of your grandparents ridicule day and day. For others, it may have been in uh, you, you very much wanted to be part of this very popular group in school, but you were casually dismissed, even teased by them. Still for others, it may have been in the office, how you tried your best to please your immediate reporting officer, but your efforts were not recognized. A younger and less experienced colleague got the recognition instead. Again, for others, it may have been in church. You have been in church for many years, serving God faithfully, and then one day, when you were appointed to lead a group, you find yourself pushing the group to be active, and your members were beginning to feel the strain, and they started to avoid you and not listen to you, and soon, you have got the cold shoulders, and you felt like an outcast. And so the point I'm making here is that we all probably have been neglected at some point, rejected, ignored, teased, labelled, ostracised, even marginalised at one point in our life. And this is what this context, this text is about when we look at the context of this very famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And so looking back at Jesus' ministry just before Luke chapter 10 in verse in chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, we see that Jesus was rejected and by the Samaritan village when he and his disciples wanted to pass through to go to Jerusalem. Well, his disciples even suggested to call fire from heaven, but of course Jesus rebuked them. Then in Luke nine fifty-seven, verse uh, 57 to 62, Jesus talked to his disciples about the cost of discipleship how difficult it is to be a follower of Christ because people will reject you. And then in chapter 10, verse 1 to 12, Jesus sent out the 72 to the towns and even prepared them to accept the rejection that they will face from many households. And so in Luke 10, verse 16, he says, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me and so here now in chapter 10 verse 25 jesus knew that this lawyer was coming to put him to the test for earlier in luke nine twenty-one to 22 jesus had foretold how the elders the chief priests and the scribes will reject him and hunt him down and so now the lawyer comes to have a dialogue with Jesus. And so let's see what the outcome would be. First, let's qualify that this lawyer is not, today we think of as a lawyer, a civil law, on civil law, but he is a, law, a lawyer for religious laws. He's also known as the expert of the laws of God. And so this lawyer asked a question to Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What was his motive? To trap Jesus and to hunt him down. And Jesus replied with a question, knowing that he is the expert of the law, asked this. He says, he asked, what is written in the law? How do you read it? What was Jesus thinking when he asked this question? Well, Jesus knows that no one can perfectly fulfill the law. The Apostle Paul learned this very well when he said in Romans 3 verse 20 that, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, the law cannot justify them. Instead, the law only reveals their sin. It is a helpless situation. So the law only reveals that we are sinners. And so the lawyer here replied, and he cited the central aspect of the law, and that is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so this was a combination of two laws coming together from the Old Testament, one from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, which speaks about loving God, and one from Leviticus 19, verse 18, which speaks about loving neighbor. And I will mention again about Leviticus 19 later. And so Jesus... You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And so the motive behind what Jesus said was that he was hoping for the lawyer to admit failure for not being able to keep the law. But of course, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said, And who is my neighbor? Of course, the motive here was that that he was probably trying to justify that he actually loves God and he actually loves neighbor. And, and we need to qualify this, because for him, perhaps by loving God meant that he did not worship other idols, he did not perform, he, he always performed his uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices, and he kept the Sabbath day without doing any work. But Jesus knew that these are not always the evidence of someone who loves God. And this lawyer, again, has another idea of neighbor. Not everyone was a neighbor in his eyes. Especially those who disobey God, they are the enemies of God. And those who worship idols, they are strangers to God. And so they are not his people. And so neighbors really are those who worship the God of Israel. They are not the enemies of God and they are not strange to God's ways. And you can say that this lawyer was selective on who should be his neighbor based on his own understanding on God and on the scripture. In fact, when we zero in to understand the word neighbor, Jesus knew that this lawyer has a very narrow view of neighbor. For in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 43 to 44, Jesus said, the rabbis have taught you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemy. So enemies were not included as neighbors as far as these religious leaders are concerned. And back in Leviticus 1934, God also commanded his people that he should also learn to love the stranger as yourself. And so to this lawyer, enemies and strangers are not his neighbors. So there were limitations. And so so his last cynical question from the lawyer to Jesus was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus decided not to engage him in any debate, but to tell him a parable. What is a parable? Well, a parable is simply a relatable story that brings out a spiritual truth. And so first he let us get some understanding on the Samaritan Who are they, and why did Jesus use them in this parable? Well, the Samaritans came from a time when northern Israel were captured by the Assyrians, if you look at the chart there, and after they were released from exile, some of the Jews stayed behind and intermarried Gentiles, and so they no longer became pure Jews, in other words. But the pure Jews and the religious leader regarded them as betrayers, enemies of God. And so if you look at the map here, the next slide, if a Jew wants to go from Judea, Jerusalem to Galilee, instead of passing through Samaria, which is the shortcut, they would rather take the longer route via Jericho and along the River Jordan to go to avoiding Samaria altogether. And so Jesus, knowing this history, an attitude of the Jews now shares the parable. He says, a man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest came along, saw him, and passed him by. Likewise, a Levite came and saw him and passed him by. But a Samaritan came, saw him, and had compassion on him. He, bought, he, he bound his wounds, poured oil and wine, set him on his donkey and brought him to an ink. He gave him, he gave the innkeeper two denaries and, and more when he would return. And so for Jesus, the focus of this parable here was really the Samaritan. That loving God is about loving neighbor, even if they are considered your enemy or a stranger. Jesus was highlighting that love goes beyond boundaries and the act of love is generosity. And so in this parable, the priest and the Levite did fulfill the law because they did not extend love in action, but the Samaritan, who is an enemy, did. And so Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to this man who fell among the robbers? Notice here that Jesus now flipped the question the other way around to bring out the meaning of neighbor. At first it was, who is my neighbor? But now it is, who is a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And so the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And that answer was absolutely spot on. We're not sure why, how he took it but he had nothing more to ask or say. And so he came to test Jesus, but now he walks away with a revelation of what it means to love your neighbor. And so Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And so Jesus left him to ponder over it. And that's, when, how, that's how the parable ended, quite abruptly. And so, the question we want to ask this evening is, what is the implication here? How can we respond to persons with special needs, now that we know this? Well, first, two points that I have. First is that we are a neighbor to those who are different from us. We just learned that we are not just to love those who are like us, same race, same nationality, but we are to love those who are different from us who may seem strange to us. Secondly, we are uh, to to be a neighbor to those who are helpless. Helpless. We're not only to love only those who can reciprocate, meaning they can say thank you to you, but we are to love those who are not able to reciprocate us. And we're not to love those who cannot help themselves. And so it is like this guy in a wheelchair who needs to go up the steps He's helpless. He can't do it on his own. He needs help. And so let's expand these two points one at a time. First, we are to be a neighbor to those who are different from us. Now people with special needs are very different. But because they are different, they too can enrich our lives. How are they different? Well, their brains are wired differently, they they behave differently, and they contribute differently. How are they different? Well, what makes, them, their, what makes their autism different from us? Well, the answer is how they sense the world. It's how they sense the world. The word autism comes from the word autos, which means in your own world. They perceive the world differently from us. And so the experts call this the sensory processing disorder. There is a part of there is a part of the brain that reads senses. And for them, that part of the brain is impaired, causing their sense of reading to be a little disorganized. And so because they are disorganized, it causes them to have two extreme reactions. One is hyper, and the other is hypo. Hyper means that we, don't, we get too much of it, and so it's oversensitivity. And hypo means that we don't get enough of it under... So, for example consider the the eyes the, one of the senses is the eyes visual when a person with autism has hyper visual he tends not to look at you with his eyes you know he will look at you he will talk to you he'll listen to you but he will not look at you in the eyes why because there is too much stimulation to the eye causing it to have an overload and so a bright environment or a bright object can overload the sense of his eye causing pain to the child and so to prevent that from happening they avoid looking you with their eyes hence they are very often misunderstood for not paying attention not listening unfriendly aloof perhaps even indifferent but on the flip side of the same coin uh, we are still on the brain yeah on the flip side of the same coin you have those who are hypo visual That means that they don't get enough stimulation, so what do they do? For a very long time, very long time, because why they're trying to get more stimulation. And sometimes when they stare so long and hard, they make you feel very uncomfortable. And other times, they provoke people to anger because of their staring. And so sometimes they get Then you have also the auditory, the ears, the sensing of the ears, the hearing. When a person with autism has hyper auditory, it means that he is very sensitive to noise or sound. And so the sound can comes from things that we do, like we we drag a table, when we slam the door, baby crying, clapping loudly, high-pitched voice can overwhelm them. And when they are overwhelmed, they get anxious, and because they are unable to manage or control how they feel, they go into a meltdown. Meltdown means that it is uncontrollable actions like kicking, hitting, throwing, and pulling. It's uncontrollable. They just can't help it. So you have that. But on the flip side of the same coin, there are those who, are, who have hypo auditory, and it means that they don't get enough sensation to their ears. And so what would they do? They will produce their own sound. They'll hit all kinds of things to produce sounds at the expense and the, and, and the irritation of others around them because they're trying to satisfy their own sensory need. We have the example of the tactile, the sensation of touch. Now, most of us here are, are very appreciate touch as a form of encouragement and, and, and comfort. But for some of them here with autism, especially those with hyper sensitivity to touch when you try to touch them a burning sensation on their skin so they don't like to be touched or they will react when they are touched but on the flip side of the coin you have those who are hypo sensitive to touch enough of the touch and so they would want you to touch them or they would touch you sometimes inappropriately and that is why they get into trouble because of this and so well it may it may not be a real problem when they are young and small and they touch you but it becomes a problem when they are older and bigger touching inappropriately can pose a serious problem in public you can imagine that then you also have the example of the the sense of smell they call it olfactory if you have a child who has hyper smell it is it means that they are it's too overpowering they pick up smell easily and so for example you and I we all use different brand shampoo or soap they can pick up the different smells and it overwhelms them such that they will avoid you perhaps or they may avoid certain places because of the smell or they may avoid eating certain kind of food because of the smell but on the flip side of the coin we have those who are hypersensitive to smell And what would they do? They would come very near you, stand very close to you and smell you. And so when they talk to you, they stand very close. And so you have got to really keep them at arm's length and and because they have no idea of any social etiquette, learning to keep a distance with another person. And then there are also three more senses that are not included in this picture. And they are proprioceptive, which is the sensation to the joints, which cause them to do a lot of jumping, And movements. There is also the vestibular, the sensation that they get between the ears and so that this causes them to spin. They like to spin themselves and they like to rock a lot, right? Just to get that feeling, that sensation. Finally, there is the introception and that is the sensation inside the body that tells them that they are hungry or thirsty or they have a stomach ache and if they are non-verbal, they are not able to speak they will not be able to tell the adult that they are having this problem and so they will react wildly as a form of communication and so this is the reality for every child with autism moderate to severe they do have one or even more of these sensory issues and so The complexity is that every child would have probably have a combination of the hypo and hyper modes. And so you may have a child who has a combination of a hyper visual together with a hypo smelling and a hyper vestibular and then another with a different configuration. And so that is why we say that every child with autism is different. You can never standardize them you cannot stereotype them everyone is different and so it was stephen shaw who said this that when you've seen one child with autism you've seen one child with autism you haven't seen the rest yet there's a variety of and so how do these sensory affects the way uh, affect the child well they affect them in three areas the next slide it affects them in the three areas and first is the away in the way that they communicate And so they are not able to see things from your perspective. And so you cannot assume that they can understand what is common to all of us. It also affects the way they interact. They they do not understand social cues or language. And so for example, if they come in late for a lesson and you try to to communicate using social cues to say, hey, hello, what's the time now? Basically what you're trying to say is you're late but he has no idea. He say, oh, the time is now 6.15. That's it. Yeah? He doesn't understand the social cues. So you have to be very concrete in your language. And so that's the lack of imagination. And, and, and it also affects the way that they behave, the lack of imagination. It means that they will repeat a behavior and after a season, change to a new behavior. And so what have we learned from Jesus here? That we are... That in that how we are to love those who are different from us. And how do we do that? Well, by taking the effort to try to understand them, their struggles, their efforts, and their frustrations with themselves. Very often, it is frustrations with themselves that we should try to understand. And so the first implication here is that we are a neighbor to those who are different from us. The second implication is that we are a neighbor to those who are helpless. And so people with special needs often feel helpless. And this includes their families. The first thing that hits home for a parent who, upon receiving the news or the diagnosis that the, that the child that she has, has autism, is the question, why me? Why me? Or in Hokkien, perhaps they may even say, "Wah, xiao liao la. You know, the future is very bleak. And from that point, the whole world crashes in. All the hopes and dreams for the child's future ceases. And it would take time for them to wrap their minds around autism. And so the hope is that they would gradually to accept, adapt, and to find ways to help the child through therapy and schooling. And so parents feel helpless in several ways. First, they feel helpless that they are always at fault. Well, Parents who um, are, often, are often make them feel that they are at fault, it could come from a child's grandparents or from their relatives. And so they would hear remarks like, what did you do wrong to deserve a child like this? You shouldn't have married this woman or you shouldn't have married this woman. And parents sometimes would even blame one another. And the whole environment can be very tense for the child to grow up. Very often the parents also feel misunderstood. When they bring the child to public and the child acts out, everyone will stare daggers at them. And they may even pass comments like, why don't you discipline your child? He shouldn't be doing this in public, He's so inconsiderate. Not knowing that the parents really have no control over the situation as much as they try. And even if they try harder, the child's behaviour may escalate, it makes it worse. Another another helpless situation is that they feel very embarrassed. You may never know when a child would react or be triggered by sensory overload. Every time that the parent uh, that the child goes into a tantrum or a embarrasses the parents, and after all, we are all Asians, and the face is always an issue for us. And this embarrassment also comes with guilty feelings. And so very often, the parents would apologize to people many times a day, many times, just sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Another point is that they feel marginalized in society. It's not most understanding when it comes to odd behavior. I think we have more patience and understanding with the blind, with the handicapped, with the elderly who is slower when they cross the road, we we can wait, we can be patient. But when a child with autism gets into a meltdown where they have no control, it is taken as bad behavior. And so the public can be very cruel with their remarks and facial expression, and if they don't pass remarks, they would just avoid the parent. Even in church, sometimes many of them would often be asked to sit at the back or the cry room, and because no idea nobody has any idea and so the temptation is to throw hints at the parents that maybe they can go somewhere else if it's possible finally the last point here is that many of the parents they feel very fearful they're living in fear quite often in many cases many parents live with fear because their child's behavior because of their child's behavior at home they would throw things pull things from the wall throw objects out of the window which is very scary, not to mention beat their parents, bite them, pull their hair because of sensory overload or frustration because they are not understood. And this can go on 24-7 throughout the year. And you wonder, when will it stop? And so that's the reality. Many of these families feel very helpless. But the good news is that we have a God who loves Jesus said in Luke 4 verse 18 the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives recovering of sight to the blind and to set the liberty those who are oppressed well in the Gospels Jesus often attend to those with who are marginalized in society And he often used them as a platform to reveal who God is and how his kingdom is like. He was anointed to love. And today, Jesus is living through his church, the body of Christ. The church is anointed with the ability to love all people, including those with special needs. You may be surprised how you may find very often that Christ reveals himself through them. Christ's love today, through the family and the church, through the body of Christ. By giving us all the necessary resources and gifts of empowerment to do so. Basically, he has given us the gospel. The gospel is the power to save, which is the power also to embrace and to minister to those with special needs through the Holy Spirit. And so we have what it takes to love with the gospel of Christ to the point where we will not run dry, because that's one of the concerns always, you know, it may set us dry. But really, with Christ, it will not happen. For the love of Christ is sufficient for us, and His strength can be made perfect in our weakness And God often used the seemingly weak things of the world to bring down the mighty. And he used the seemingly foolish things to shame the wise. And so God can use them to minister. And this has been the experience of CCH, Chapel of Christ, our hope. Over the years, we started thinking that we were here to minister. But very quickly, we discovered that God is using them too to minister to us. How? Through the resilient faith, because the parents are still believing in God. After all that they've gone through, all the sufferings, still believing in God, still praying, still coming to church, still loving the child. The resilience of the faith, of, and through the mysterious ways of those with autism. Sometimes you don't really understand, but they, God used them to just minister to one another. We have a case where we have a... Um, one of, the, one of the Sundays where our sound man was very tired. But of course, nobody knew he was tired because he was on duty uh, every consecutive Sunday because we, were, we just started out. And, and we have a child who usually comes in and he would jump in the middle and then go horizontally. That is his routine. That is his ritual, so to speak. He would do that every Sunday. So we are used to it. But one Sunday, he came in and then suddenly there was a change of behavior, which is very odd because they are usually they usually follow through with their behavior. And he dragged one of the chair, which is quite heavy, he couldn't carry. So he dragged the chair from one end and he brought it to the sound man, which is at the corner, the other end. And then he tapped on his shoulder because it's nonverbal, So he tapped on his shoulder and almost gesturing him, he brought you this chair. And of course, the sound man just obliged, sat down. And the moment he sat down, suddenly he felt the Spirit of God speaking to him and said, son, I know you're tired. Rest in me. Wow. This gentleman, by the way, is a gentleman, like broke into tears a little bit. Of course, at that time, nobody knew anything, but we had a moment in our service to share this whole episode, this whole process, and we were awed by that. These are the kind of things that has been happening, different, different kind of stories which I won't share, I won't use the pulpit to share too much, but we can talk about it when, probably when we, we, are, when we fellowship. But this is how the Lord used them very often to minister to us, and you'll be, you'll be amazed the kind of things that the Lord used to use, uh, how He used them to minister to us. And so this evening, do you feel rejected, marginalized or neglected in your home or school or office, or even in church? The Lord says, "I have never left you nor rejected you. Instead, I have always tried to assure you of my presence and compel you to return to me. For your security is not in yourself, but in Christ alone. And so in conclusion, how can we be a neighbor to those with special needs? Well, we just need to embrace them in our communities and over time, grow in transformation and in true discipleship of being a people of God who would love God and love neighbor. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for embracing us into your kingdom. We thank you for the power of your love that saves us and transforms us. We are able to love only because you have first loved us. And so help us to love those who are different from us and those who are helpless that we may manifest the presence of Christ that gives us hope. In Jesus' name we pray.